Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah. Good morning and welcome to it. The Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or translator, and of course, around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet, uh, where you'll find the audio-only live stream, as well as links to Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and uh, all the places that we broadcast the show this morning. Hello, and how are you? Yes, yay, we were able to get on Facebook this morning. I don't know what I did right, but it did it the first time, so... Technology, you gotta love it. You got 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 to got to got to love it. All right. So Thursday, uh, it is uh, a, a pretty full show today. Yeah, six o'clock club members are going to get a chance to hear the uh, headlines. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, things that are going on around the state. A few things, uh, some of the economic woes, and a little bit of the uh, campaign stuff that we're seeing around uh, around the state right now. We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to jump into it with Jody Taylor, who is the board chair, the chairwoman, chairwoman of the board for the Alaska Policy Forum. And today we're going to talk about um, some of the things in educational funding and uh, how some families are now finding out that there's an ability to dual enroll your students in private schools using state allotted funding. And uh, maybe, just maybe, this could be the genesis of kind of that backpack funding that we've talked about in the past, uh, how that would make sense where the money follows the student rather than uh, going to the specific schools uh, directly, but instead follows the student wherever they want to go. Uh, we'll see what Jody Taylor has to say about that. We'll get some Full details on it and uh, get a chance to talk with her and about what AFP's position is on that. Folks at the Policy Forum are doing some good work, by the way, in case you haven't been following uh, everything that they've been doing. So I'm happy to have Jody on here to talk about it. Then in hour two today, uh, we're going to be talking with Tuckerman Babcock, who is a candidate for the state Senate down on the peninsula. What was District O? And I can't remember right off the top of my head what the new district is. Um, I suppose I could. No, no, wrong, wrong button. I hate it when I push the wrong button in the morning. Um, let's see. It was it was District O, and now it's going to be uh, District D. There we go, District D. Uh, I just I hate that. I mean, I I knew what they were, and now I don't. Uh, anyway, so Tuckerman Babcock is going to come on and uh, jump in and join us uh, to talk about his uh, his run for office and, of course, the budget and the PFD and all the things that uh, we are going to want to talk about. So that's uh, that's going to be coming up 
here in just a little bit. Hour two. About an hour from now, we'll be diving into that with Tuckerman Babcock. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's program, I don't have any guests lined up as of right this hot second, but I am working on it. I'm trying to get um, trying to get either uh, David Kodria or uh, maybe Dr. John Lott back to talk about some of the issues uh, around firearms in the U.S. and the latest issues on the shootings and some other things. We're, I'm Again, I'm working on it. We'll see if we can get somebody on board. Otherwise, it'll just be you and me. Not like that would be necessarily a bad thing. But we will uh, we'll see and we'll we'll dive in on that here. Um, all right. So that's, uh, that's kind of how we, uh, that's kind of how we roll. Now, if you want to participate in the program in a fun and unique way, you could do so by joining us on the simulcast, which is available on Facebook or YouTube, um, or Twitch. If you want to get into the Twitch, Twitch is for the, is for the, the gamer geeks. I just threw it on there cause it was easy. I love Twitch. Um, but I'm, I know I'm an, I'm an abnormality when it comes to that. It's way out of my age group. Um, but anyway, you can go over there and you can, uh, you can, uh, hang out with us and, uh, chat with folks in the chat room. We got a bunch of folks already, um, hanging out with us, like 25 or 30 on Facebook and then another dozen or so on YouTube. Uh, and you can chat back and forth and, and, uh, have conversations and everything else. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be great. Um, all right, so let's dive into the um, let's dive into the uh, uh, the headlines. Uh, first and foremost, uh, there already been a couple comments in the chat room this morning from folks up in the interior about how smoky it is. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, with my friend uh, Perry Wally up at the stations yesterday uh, in Fairbanks, and he was like, "Yeah, ninety degrees and just full of smoke." The whole Fairbanks in the interior right now is hot and smoky. It's like the third circle of hell or something, uh, which is just horrific. Part of that problem is coming out of clear, uh, and now the evacuation order has been triggered in clear uh, because that fire has reached 53,000 acres and is, according to the fire officials, only 8% contained. It continues to threaten homes near Anderson as the firefighting crews clear brush and put up fire breaks between the fires and the existing structures. Uh, Last night, the Division of Forestry updated the evacuation status of residents living near Clear and said uh, anyone who has an evacuation status of go needs to leave their homes immediately. Uh, They say about uh, 155 people are living in 140 structures in the area that are considered to be under threat. Uh, They said at this time about 130 of them are still sheltering in place. But they're basically saying uh, time, time, time to go, time to go. You can always rebuild later. You can't replace the people. Um, The fire uh, has had minimal activity on Tuesday, had a lot of growth occurring on the southeast side of the blaze, uh, which is where the homes stand in the Kobe subdivision there on the Parks Highway in Anderson. And uh, the homes, as well as any cabins within two miles of the fire perimeter, have been put on to go status, meaning that they're advising them to evacuate. Uh, Eleven new fires have flared up since Tuesday, which uh, in- increases the list. The, the total in the state of Alaska, two, uh, 227 active fires right now. 227. 
with 2.3 million acres burned already this year. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Up in Fairbanks, they're getting a lot of smoke from the Minto Lake fires, uh, which is at 34,000 acres. Uh, and Denali National Park has said the Yetna fire is burning. They've got about a seven-acre fire on the south side of the Alaska Range in Denali National Park as well. But 227 fires. I mean, I'm just grateful that, you know, I was really surprised over the 4th of July weekend how much restraint was shown. We didn't hear a lot of fireworks out in my neck of the woods. I don't know about you guys, but it seems like people really slowed that down. And and hats off to some of the businesses. I know like Gorilla Fireworks and some other ones, they had shut down their fireworks stands for that reason alone. Just because it is such, I mean, we've, I think I've literally had four and a half hours of rain at my house this entire summer. One afternoon, it rained for about four hours. And uh, it is just dry as a popcorn fart out there. It is not a, not a, not a good, not a, so be cautious, be careful. And whoever's out there doing the rain dance, whoever's out there, who's, whoever needs to wash their car to make it rain, go do it right now. Because, man, it is, uh, it is absolutely insane. A little smoky down here in the South Central area, but not nearly like it is up in Fairbanks. Uh, and it clears up from time to time. Some days a little smoky, some days really not at all. Uh, but definitely could use some rain. Bill says it's raining down in Anchor Point right now. Send that stuff north, Bill. We're supposed to have rain uh, here in the South Central area on Saturday. Uh, and in Fairbanks, they pushed it back. Um, it was supposed to be this weekend, but now they're saying maybe Monday or Tuesday for rain in Fairbanks. But not a not a not a good look. Not a good look. Interesting exchange yesterday um, on uh, on uh, a local radio show uh, here in the uh, uh, South Central area down in Anchorage. Uh, and Jerry Ward, the senior advisor for the Sarah Palin campaign for Congress, came on to talk about Sarah Palin and why she should be the choice for. Uh, Dan Fagan is the guest of that show, and he has been a pretty vocal critic of Palin for quitting her job in office. Um, while I have commented on it, I've never, I mean, I understood why she did it based on a lot of the things that were going on and the personal attacks and the legal mounting legal costs and some other things that were going on. So I didn't necessarily blame her for quitting, but I think her team has taken exactly the wrong position on this uh, because uh, Ward, uh, Jerry Ward, insisted that uh, Sarah Palin never quits, and she only does what's best for America and Alaskans, and that she never quit her term as governor, uh, which w- it happened this last weekend. It happened on the Fourth of July in two thousand nine. So I mean, it, she but she never quits, um, and he reiterated that he went on for like two minutes talking about how she never quits, never quit. You know, I would have thought that there was a little bit of a better way to kind of phrase that whole thing uh, or frame it, I guess, not phrase it, frame it. I mean, I, yes, she quit. I don't think anybody is going to who looks at it and said ostensibly she's she quit. But you should explain why she quit, you know, for the betterment of Alaska, to have somebody in there who didn't have all of the political baggage that had come out of the presidential election that, you know, all this. I mean, there should have, but this this whole thing of you know she's not a, she's not a quit she's never quit. Um, but, but, n- no what? 
I mean, that was just not something that I would have uh, not something that I would have jumped in on with both feet and just stuck to it. Um, it's an interesting exchange. Must read Alaska's got a story up with an audio link if you want to go listen to it. But uh, yeah, uh, definitely uh, interesting to watch. Uh, I wish I had a little bit more time to get into this. There's a, a, three different stories here that kind of all tell a tale of what's going on in the state of Alaska right now. Um, and it all has to do with, of course, the cost of goods, inflation, uh, the pandemic, the economic downturn, and everything else. Uh, I, maybe I'll just hit you with some of the headlines here real quick. And, and if we get time later on in the show today, we can discuss it. But the headline in the ADN is, many Alaskans are struggling to afford food right now. Here's how you can help. And it's a story that goes on to talk about skyrocketing prices at the pump, at the grocery stores. You know, Alaskans are, are you know, they're struggling. Uh, you know, gasoline, of course, has, got, has had the biggest raise uh, in the last year. But food over the last two years has not been too far behind. Over the last 12 months, grocery prices have risen by almost 12%. Um, which is really putting a hurt on. And then people, of course, traveling vast distances in Alaska, if you're commuting from the valley or from some of the outlying areas, uh, I mean, it puts a significant hamper on it. I mean, I'm driving a little teeny tiny car uh, that gets a million miles to the gallon, and it still costs me um, a good 25, almost 30% more to fill up my car. Um, it's like $67 to fill up my little tiny 12-gallon tank. Um, I can't imagine these guys driving these big trucks. And then, of course, I got kids at home. I know how much food. My kid went out of state for two weeks to be with friends, and my grocery bill immediately dropped by a significant amount. It's not, it's not unusual, right? And then there's a second story talking about rental prices for homes and apartments in Anchorage and in Alaska in general rising, and that, home, uh, that uh, rental prices in Anchorage alone have soared by 14% uh, year over year, uh, and that uh, it mentions briefly as well that the housing market is also tightening up, and of course the inflationary rate and the interest rate is driving it up, so it's going to keep more families in a rental category instead of being able to buy. I mean, it's just this, this perfect storm of catch-22. And then there was a third story that came out from, um, uh, that came out from uh, uh, Porch.com. It's a new report. Uh, that just came out talking about uh, state taxes and property taxes and everything else across the country. Uh, it shows that Alaska property taxes in Alaska account for 13.5% of Alaska's tax revenue. So you got all the, the taxes never stopped, uh, you know, during the pandemic or anything else. It did some interesting stories economically. I'd like to dive into those a little bit more, but we're out of time. We got to get, we got to get going. I've got Jody Taylor coming up. So We'll see if we can put that on the back burner and come back to that here in uh, just a bit. Meanwhile, let's uh, let's take a break. And we uh, and we'll be back with Jody Taylor from the Alaska Policy Forum. We'll be back with more of the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Jody Taylor from AFP up next. Regularly heard on American radio.
Okay, in the break. What else has we got? Uh, what else have we got here? Let me scroll backwards a little bit here. See what you guys are saying. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Six o'clock club members. Robbie says, I feel like an earthling this morning. Fire smoke is awful. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I heard. I heard the last couple of days in Fairbanks, especially. Uh, it's been just crazy. 227 fires. My brain is still just, it. yeah. Yikes, says Brian. Um, fire crews all over the world. Um, uh, we need to. We need rain. We need thunderstorms. Yeah, we need. We don't need the lightning. We need rain. Brian said he's doing his part. He's painted his deck, and he said he's going to paint the other one this afternoon. See if he can draw some rain. Good for you, Brian. Thank you. I'm going to wash my car today. We'll see if we can get the rain to come for that. Uh, interior smoke gets bad in Kotzebue. Uh, can practically smoke your fish out on the clothesline. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Chris Byer says, resignation sounds better than quit. Well, yeah, but I mean, resignation, quit, you resign, you quit. I mean, it's the same. It's almost synonymous, right? I mean, but there are nuances to it. And this could have been the chance to explain why she quit and for what reasons. You know, some of the legal challenges, the 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 costs involved, the fact that it was kind of splitting out. The I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you could quit. Uh, and they could have been good reasons. But instead... We're just like, nope, she never, 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 never. I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, all right. Um, the headline of this story says the benefits of world hunger. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, good morning from Minneapolis. Good morning, Jack. Thanks for listening while you're outside. Appreciate it. Raining in Soldatna right now, says Sandy. Send that stuff up north. We need some of that stuff. All right, uh, phone lines are on hold, which means that in the virtual green room right now is Jody Taylor, who is hopefully enjoying some of my virtual donuts and virtual coffee in the virtual green room. Good morning, Jody. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you for having me on today. Good. I know those donuts are tempting, but please don't eat the ones with sprinkles. Those are mine, okay? I'll only take the maple. No only, worries. That's right. Maple with bacon. Those are yours. You can use Oh, not with bacon. Oh. I can't do that one, but all the maple oh, bars, they're mine. You can't do maple with bacon? That is no. like the perfect... I mean, it's not all, It's not an all the time, but man, every now and then, a maple with bacon? Oh, that's a that's a donut right there. <laughs> that is a donut right there. I'll, I'll just leave those ones for my husband. Okay, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, all right, Jody. Well, we're here a couple minutes out. It's just me and you and 50 or 60 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube right now. Uh, we're just uh, hanging out uh, and uh, talking about things, uh, getting ready to dive into this. And uh, we'll be back to you here in about, uh, oh, just over 90 seconds or so. Okay. So hold the line. Okay. All right. Jody Taylor, our guest, chairwoman for the uh, board chairwoman for the Alaska policy. I put AFP instead of APF because. You know, that's that's what happens when you, the coffee has not kicked in. A, P, uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, wow, I blew the whole thing out. Uh, so uh, let me be a board chair woman, Alaska Policy Farm. Okay, all right, I got it now. I did it this time. Uh, all right, uh, What what else are you guys uh talking about here let me um let's see uh baggage is another walker says robbie i just i disagree but i mean you know 
to each his own. I know the baggage name is hard to get over. I know a lot of people. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I know that the people are having a hard time with that. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, Dan Fagan isn't having it. Poop starting in his mo. I don't know what that meant, but. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to that interchange, Fagan is pretty incredulous. And I'll be honest with you, if I had had Jerry Ward on and he'd said the same thing, I would have been pretty incredulous. Again, I'm not mad at her for quitting, but to say she didn't quit is <laughs> it's 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 insane. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, we're getting ready to jump back into it. Please like and share this video on Facebook. Like and follow the show page. Hit subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Um, for, uh, let's for do all the YouTube things. All right. You ready? Let's, uh, let's get to it. Here we go. All right, uh, welcome back. The Michael Duke Show, Thursday edition. Getting to be talking about some education, which you obviously we need around this program. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about education funding and some things that you may not know about. If you've got kids and uh, you'd like to maybe do some private schooling or some other things, uh, we have brought uh, we brought a special guest on today. Jody Taylor is the board chair for the Alaska Policy Forum. You can find them at alaskapolicyforum.org. And they're a think tank where they, I mean, they they do a lot of good work uh, trying to bring Alaska on on track uh, for that. And uh, we're going to talk with her this morning about uh, that education stuff. And she joins us right now. Good morning, Jody. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for coming on board and talking about this. So, uh, the policy forum has been doing some educational outreach. They're trying to let families know about um, uh, uh, the the ability to do something called dual enrollment. Um, and so, first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about that and what it entails and what it means and uh, what people, I guess, don't know out there about it. Sure. Well, I would love to. Maybe I can just give a little background. Sure. Absolutely. So my- Yeah, my husband, Treg, and I have six children, and they have all been in public school. Our oldest daughter um, is in college, and so we've had, you know, and and our youngest is two, so we've had a wide age range. Right. And, you know, one of them's gone all the way through Anchorage School District. Um, In 2020, with the closing of schools, we really were reassessing based on what happened in the absolutely mixed responses um, from from our from our different children's uh, teachers on what we were going to do going forward. So my family looked into what's called the Correspondence Program. Right. The Correspondence Program is open to every Alaskan student. Anyone that wants to be involved in that can do it. What the Correspondence does is give families an allotment that they can use for their children's education and get reimbursed for it. It's a set of, and it's all funded by the base student allocation from the state. Right. Um, so that is where the money comes from. There's over 30 correspondence schools around the state. About 20% of our Alaskan students use the correspondence program, or about 25,000. And most of them use it, a lot of people call the program the homeschool program. Right. Most people use it as a homeschool program. Right. But then you have families like 
like me, like others that just said, no, this is not, um, we had some problems during COVID. For example, my son uh, was in kindergarten and his teacher just went AWOL in that fourth quarter. She didn't show up. Our son was learning to read and we felt like he needed something, obviously needed something different than that. Um, so we uh, put our children in a private online school through the correspondence program the first year. And when I was talking with Bethany Markham, who's the CEO of the Alaska Policy Forum, about that and what the options were, she said, well, there's also a, a 2014 statute that then State Senator Mike Dunleavy put, um, got passed that allowed students in the correspondence program to walk those uh, or to use the funds at a private school for classes. Right. So what that means is that, for example, my two younger children that I was very concerned, they went to in-person school. Um, we, and, and once I knew about that program, we worked with the school district, explained what the, the statute was and how that could work through a very front door process. Um, and and help them understand it. And since then, all the correspondence schools around the state and the private schools around the state, we've let them know about the statute so that they could understand this was possible, that you could use the allotment, the correspondence allotment program to pay for private school courses because that had not been the practice. There was sort of one-off and onesie-twosies around the state but not an understanding of this. This is a statute right. that's allowed. It was available, but nobody really took advantage of it, and nobody really knew about it. Yes, exactly. So what was happening with with parents who had their children in private school, they would maybe be in the correspondence program, but they would use it to pay for their kids' hockey or whatever their extracurricular activities were. Oddly enough, the program wouldn't pay for their core math, science, you know, history, social study, it, it wouldn't pay for that. The things that we're supposed to pay <laughs> right. for with education dollars, right. The things that are for education right. and that are important. Right. But instead, we'd pay for their hockey class, right? Right. So this just allows families who had, who maybe their their values, they might feel like their values aren't represented um, at the school, or they might feel like outcomes are not what they're looking for. And that certainly can be a concern for every Alaskan parent across the state because our state has the lowest outcomes in the country, right? So Right. For a host of reasons, families might consider that they're looking for something different or just their child would thrive in a different environment. I mean, there's so many different reasons that you would look and say, my child might do better in a private school. And and those options are there. They're available. So let me just give you an example. The most expansive um, program is Family Partnership, which is an Anchorage. They provide the highest allotment in the state. Uh, because each correspondent school sets their own allotment from the state-based student <clears throat> allocation. Right. Um, so Family Partnership provides $4,000 for elementary-age students, $4,250 for middle school students, and $4,500 for high school students. Per yeah. per year? Per year. That's right. what the allotment is that families can use and get reimbursed for classes for. Right, right. Yeah, so my students go to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. The tuition um, at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton last year was $6,000. Um, so $4,000 of those classes can get reimbursed. And then the remaining $2,000 you can spread out over the school year if the family needed to. There's scholarships. So, uh, and there's other schools that cost less. There's other schools that cost more. So for a family, you could, you know, divide those payments over the school year 
which would look like the same as, you know, your your private lessons or the sports program that they're involved in, $160 a month, something like that, where for many families, if that's what the price was, it would allow them to pick up an extra shift and put their children um, in the school of their choice and um, and with outcomes, like I said, or or whatever the reasons were that they felt like a a private school would be a better fit for their children, then that would be suddenly very affordable and available to them uh, versus what it was before. Well, and this is an interesting uh, thing because, I mean, I wasn't aware of this uh, until I had done some uh, reading on it here recently. And of course, part of it came out with, you know, some challenges to it and some deciding Mm -hmm. on whether it was valid or not and everything else. Uh, and I've homeschooled. We've homeschooled all of our children, utilizing these correspond. In fact, we were one of the we were the one of the first families in the idea program uh, in the interior way back in the day. My daughter's now twenty seven or whatever. She was one of the first uh, uh, kids in those classes as a kindergartner, and uh, so we've been utilizing those correspondence programs for a long, long time. Very familiar with, but I had never ever heard of this, and and it yes. is. I mean, it's fascinating. Like you said, it, we knew it was legal. I mean, it was legal, but nobody really knew about it. Yeah. It's kind of like nobody, I think, probably because nobody wanted to know about it. The competition aspect of this really drives a lot of the public school sector bonkers because th- I guess they don't like the competition for that money. Well, what I like about this is as a parent and, you know, post-COVID, every parent very clearly understands what their child needs doesn't need because parents were the teachers right. <laughs> and we all saw it. Um, yeah. and, and we saw what our children wanted and what, what was a successful model for them. So as a parent, this is just so liberating to right. pick an environment where your child can thrive and have a, a very, from my perspective, same as you with, you know, um, children that have already aged out of the system that, you just, you know what kids want, you know where your kid can be successful. And for me, this just said, great, I have more tools in my toolbox. There's more available to me so that my child can have a custom education. Excellent. You know, I yeah. have two little kids that the this private school that they go to, St. Elizabeth and Seton, it's, it's small. It's a very um, close-knit environment. It, you know, it, I, I loved that for them. They walked in the school and they said, oh, this feels good here. You know, and I thought this is excellent. This is right. beautiful for my children. Versus, and the other part that maybe some parents haven't thought about too, and I'd love to talk about is high school. What this opens up for high school and high school. I mean, you can do hybrid for any any year. You could do a hybrid program where you did some classes um, with the local public school, some classes that were private. You can pick. Right. And, and if parents want to go to alaskapolicyforum.org and sign up on our website, we have a list of all the private schools, all the correspondence programs, and you can see which programs allow for different things. Right. Um, so let me just give an example of what this can mean for high school. Sure. Let's just say your child was very college-bound. Okay. During high school, you can do what's called concurrent enrollment. Stanford has a concurrent enrollment program. My children go to BYU. BYU has a concurrent enrollment program, which means you can do college courses and they count for high school credit, but they're, and they're getting those courses directly from the college that you pick, right? That the child wants to go to. Um, we've met a family that their children graduated from high school and college same year. So they used the correspondent school funds and were reimbursed through that way um, to fund their child's college education. 
Uh, now, of course, it'll depend on which correspondence program you pick, if it fully funds right. or if it, you know, if you're supplementing that, that's a choice of the family. But the idea that a child could graduate at 18 through this program and have no debt, I think is outstanding. Oh, Absolutely yeah. outstanding and a game changer because oftentimes many children feel like high school is sort of a time waste. Yeah. It doesn't either get them prepared for a vocation, a trade, or anything anything like that. Um, and if you want to go to college, then you're just trying to get your best grades so you can get into the college you want to get into. And you're sort of spinning your wheels to get through that. This I... just it pivots that and it allows kids to use that time wisely and very smart to get done what they want to. If we'd known about it earlier, I think our daughter, um, our, our daughter that's just graduating from high school, she had um, her last year of high school, she did hybrid. She did two classes in person at the local high school. She did sports there. And then she did college courses um, in that concurrent enrollment program. Wow. You know, I, I've often said uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, the one silver lining of the pandemic to me was how eye-opening it was for parents to see how the educational system functioned and how easy it was to, you know, to actually educate your own children. I think a lot of people were afraid, whether it was through correspondence or homeschooling or whatever, they were terrified of that. But when it was forced upon them, a lot of them discovered wow, this isn't as scary and as hard as I thought. And there's a lot of support out there and there's a lot of different ways. I think it really has given us a, uh, 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 I think it has really given us a, a, a good opportunity here to fundamentally shift and change the way we do education in the state of Alaska. I, and I totally agree with that. I think parents, like, like I say, they've seen maybe for some children, the at-home environment was great, you know, right. and they were, they were comfortable with that. Other children, like my two young children, I absolutely knew that I wanted them in person. Um, and that's why we made the shift the second year right. uh, to private school, because I wanted to guarantee they would be an in-person school. Right. This just and I gives was you very another... nervous ASD would again go remote. Right. And I just knew my two young children did not do that. But my older daughter, you know, she was fine. We picked college classes. And I just as for different parents out there, you might think, well, this is more like um, finding the sports program you want your child to be in and putting them in it. Right. You're not teaching them. You're not going through the drills. You're not doing that side. You just might be um, overseeing and finding the correct program and then putting your child in that program. In, right. in these different, um, like I said, just in the example of the college program, they have an online teacher. There's a grade. There's support. There's everything just like you would expect. Or if kids wanted to do vocations and trades and everything like that, let's just talk about some of those. Um, if a child wanted to code, for example, they could do hybrid. They could be, or they could just stay home, whatever they were interested in. Um, but Google, Microsoft, other tech companies have created uh, language or the coding certificate programs because they've had a really hard time waiting for college degrees four years uh, for, right. for getting enough coders. So they have programs where you can certify that you know the, the coding language, and it's, you know, very modest. It's a six- to eight-month program, right. $300 per coding course language. And for kids that go through these programs, they, the starting salaries on these jobs on their websites are fifty five dollars to $80,000. My friend up here in Alaska that he's worked for, um, he's worked for a private startup. He worked for Microsoft. Now he's over at Facebook. 
he said for Pacific Northwest, that's absolutely more like a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Like you know those coding languages. Those are like the rocket courses. They call them rocket courses where yeah. they, they speed and so them for through. Kids yeah. To say that they could use their time in high school to be certified in something like that and graduate with a living wage job, I, I think that's outstanding. And for families, yeah. absolutely what you'd want. Yeah. Your child. And again, to me, it's using your time wisely, making a custom plan for something that they want. So when they graduate, they're ready to hit the ground running and can support themselves. I mean, I love this idea. Again, the, adding this new this new facet of being able to put the kids into private school, uh, along with, again, the discovery that homeschooling was not as hard and everything else. I mean, I think this is a fantastic option there. Uh, hold the line for us. Jody Taylor is our guest. She's the chairwoman of the Alaska Policy Forum. You can find them at alaskapolicyforum.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out a few more details of this, and we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, other future educational um, ideas and funding mechanisms and see if the Policy Forum has played around with any of those ideas as well, including backpack funding and some other stuff. We're going to be back with more The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now with Jody uh, Taylor uh, from the Policy Forum. Um, Barbara says, yes, Senator Dunleavy was on your show back in 2014. I was on there talking about it with Alaskans Against Common Core, uh, says Barbara. I, Barbara, you know what? I don't remember this being the outcome of that discussion, though, back in 20. I don't remember the outcome being you could take your student allotment uh, from your correspondence school and uh, use it in private schooling. Um, I did not, uh, that was not my takeaway from that. And maybe I just was dense at the time or didn't catch it. Uh, but this is a fascinating, uh, fascinating choice. I really like, uh, Jody, what you were just talking about, because I've been talking about that for the last, uh, five or six years. I had a chance to talk with a few people here, uh, five, six years ago about these ideas of these rocket courses about how, you know, we, we've got this entertainment, excuse me, we've got this educational model, uh, of, uh, you know, go to, go to, go to grade school, go to middle school, go to high school. You immediately have to go to college. If you don't go to college, you failed. Um, and of course that means that we've skipped all the trades and we've, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of these other things. Uh, and about five or six years ago, I was introduced to a gal who was, um, 19 at the time. She had, uh, graduated from uh, high school 18 months before, and she had gone on a, I want to say it was a 15, 19 week rocket course for some, and it was, it was for programming. It was for something in the computer trades, some kind of programming skills. And she'd gone through this course and it, uh, she said it cost her, I, I can't remember, it was 1800 bucks or something. And she immediately was hired making $85,000 a year. Uh, and she said, I, she goes, I, at that point she just, cause her plan was to do the rocket course and use that to go ahead and then fund her college yeah. with whatever job she got. <laughs> and she went through the rocket course and she got there and she's like, why do I need to? And that, I think that's the thing. I mean, we absolutely, it, it is a reassessment, Michael, yeah. of why do I think so many families think, Oh, 
my children, my child has to go to college in order to get a living wage job. Uh, this is reassessment period, folks. In the in the um, commercial pilot space right now, and again, that your child might be interested in being a pilot. They can get their commercial or their private pilot's license at 17. You can use these funds. They can get, do everything to get ready even at 16 and then sit for their commercial test at 17. And it can be paid for with this. Right. So there's so many options now on the table. And, and all of us have seen now with, you know, the Alaska Airlines pilot strike that being a captain on a commercial airlines is a three hundred and you know fifty ish thousand dollar a year job on average. <laughs> even a that's second that's a living wage job. <laughs> yeah, even a second seater, even making half yeah. that is not a bad wage. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So uh, this is beautiful. And and right now the commercial pilot uh hiring, you don't have to have a four year degree. They right. it's a preference right now, but there's such a pilot shortage, that's not a requirement on the table. So I really think families should sit down and say, what's, you know, what's available? For example, my daughter that's a freshman, she wants to be a dental hygienist. And her, um, her thought is that she wants to do that and then maybe go to dental school afterward because the dental hygienist program is a two-year degree. And she was planning to do the first of the two years as her senior of high school year. Right. So sort of like the gal you were talking about. So then when she's you know 19, she'll be totally done with the program and ready to work. Our friends um, that own a dental practice here, they could not find a dental hygienist to even apply when they offered it at $65 an hour right now. And $65. So this is our shortage we have <laughs> in some of these. Yeah, $65 an hour for a dental hygienist. They couldn't get anyone to even look at it. So a kid with two years out of a program, $65 an hour. That's living wage job. <laughs> that's yeah. a great option. Well, and, and the trades, too. That's what kills me. Yeah. I know, oh, I know, absolutely. I know they'll pay for trade schools. I know because one of my daughters mm-hmm. was considering doing, uh, was going into, it was considered for a short period of time. She wanted to go into trucking uh, because she knew that there was, that was a job. You know, you'd always have a job because they're mm-hmm. always looking for truckers, long haul, short haul. Yeah. Um, and they'll pay for that, the the, the mm-hmm. training schools and things like that. I mean, there are so many jobs out there that you could, you know, you, you don't have. This is what kills me. Go spend four years in college, you know, 80%, 70% of the people, 80% who who get get a degree, never get a job in their field of study. It's like they just did it to get the participation certificate on the wall that said, yes, you toughed it out for four years. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's crazy when you have all these opportunities there and most of them are pretty short. Even some of the, the Avtech, uh, you know, uh, apprentice programs and things like that. I mean, you're talking about one to two years uh, mm-hmm. to be able to get into an actual working job. And uh, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And all of these things are available if you are able to use that allotment to, right. to get that to early students training. Right now, yeah. they're available to students right now. And, um, and I think that's the beauty of this, is this fall, your child can pick something different. And one of the other things I think parents and grandparents or uh, employers may want to know is that this money will roll forward with the child. Right. So let's just go back to my daughter, who's her freshman year. She's going to do hybrid. She wants to do a couple of classes in person and do sports like her sister and then also do online classes because um, she knows that works for her. They, they did it, you know, their first year, they did private online school and they liked it. Um, so, or my, my older two girls. So she, uh, will save money if that makes sense out of the allotment. She won't use her full allotment the first two years of high school, right. three years of high school. So then by her last year, she'll have over $13,000 as we roadmapped her path that she wants. Hold on, Jody. 
The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I got so ingrained and so instilled in talking with Jody here about this stuff that uh, uh, I ran right back out of the commercial break. Uh, this is this stuff just fascinates me right now. We were just talking with Jody Taylor about uh, all the options that are available out there. You know, we were talking about the rocket programs. We were talking about um, uh, you know the the trades and things that are available. And she was just giving us uh, some background here on how the allotments work and how you don't have to use it all at one time. Jody Taylor with the Alaska Policy Forum is with us right now, educating Alaskans on their opportunities here if they uh, want to use that state funding through a correspondence school to enroll their kids in private schools or private courses. Uh, and I'm sorry, Jody, I, I, I ran right over the break there. So let's uh, so let's let's rewind for just a second. You were talking about allotments. They if they get an allotment every year and they get it by semester, um, and but if they don't use it, it's not like use it or lose it. It rolls over into the next year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. If, if you stay in the same correspondence program it'll roll forward. And so what that allows students to do if they if they want to roadmap it out and plan for it is, you know, like for my daughter who she started, this is going to be her freshman year of high school, by her senior year, because she knows she's doing a hybrid and, a, and, and an um, online option, by her senior year of high school, she would have about $13,000 accrued, if you will, right. in the correspondence funds. And so the dental hygienist program she wants to do the first year is about $16,000. And I would think for most students, that would be pretty daunting as a, you know, 17-year-old. That's a a daunting fund to have to come up with. And she she instead will have $13,000. And and, and the allotments go up every year, so it may be more than that, um, that she'll have saved over. And so with that, she'll be able to pay for this first year of the dental hygienist program. The second year is, I think it goes down to like 6000 or something, because the first year they upload and have you pay for tools and just a whole bunch of stuff you don't do the second year. Um, so for her, this looks like a less than $9,000 um, for her entire uh, vo- vocational training that then she'll be ready to go and um, and be out the door. And be ready uh, so to that's pick. A, that's a very different look for families right. to say, can we do this? Or right. for a student. Be then, ready to take a job that's making 65 bucks an hour, as you were yeah. saying earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Oh. So it's totally different. And the other thing that businesses could do is they can directly work with the correspondence school and take students. A business could say, hey, I will train you to be fill in the blank on what they aren't getting right now. Right. So they can directly do a work study or an apprenticeship program. And, and and parents can turn in um, or, you know, directly pay a business to do that, to train their child for something and then get reimbursed through the correspondence program for that. Well, there's so many options that are open to families if they just sit down and say, hey, what, you know, what do you want to do? Right. Let's figure out a path to get there and make the best use of your time to get a, a very expansive educational choice options are on the table. Jody Taylor, Alaska Policy Forum. Let's look at the mechanics of it. Um, so, what do we? What would we? You know, if, if people are listening right now and they're like, "Well, we're summer break. Uh, we got you know, fall's coming up. I want to do something a little different." How do they? How how do they participate in this? How does this work? That's a great question. So, again, I would encourage every anyone that was interested in this to go to alaskapolicyforum.org and sign up to get the information about the programs because there's 30 programs across the state. 
there's no one-stop shopping to give you information on where that is except for there that, that we know of. Um, so you can see and compare what, what are the different correspondence programs, what is their allotment, which is a range. Each school sets their own allotment. So there is definitely a range. And, you know, as a parent, I was looking for the one with the highest allotment, which, right. again, is Family Partnership and Anchorage. Um, and then it, it depends on each school on what the options are from there. So some of the schools, it's open enrollment all the time. IDEA, you, you mentioned your children go to IDEA. IDEA, right. Raven, Mount Sioux Central, those are open enrollment. If you want to go to Family Partnership, they have a lottery. You need to get in that program. Right. Um, and so, again, all, we have the information collated together there. Uh, the private schools, if you want your child in a full-time private school, you need to start interviewing and going to those schools and getting information right. so that your child can get, you know, um, get on the list, get ready to whatever the case might be for the different school, what their requirements are, you can find out what that is. And there's a host of secular, religious schools. Again, like you just need to go through and see which one you want, what meets, what you're looking for. Um, for your child. And, and there you go, Montessori. Um, there's so many different options on, on where a parent could put their child. And I think the more this program is known, the more options there will be in the private school space. No, absolutely. Um, and there's even some small private schools that just might be a handful of students, you know. So there's, there's just different things. And when you talk to a correspondence school, you can even ask if there's any micro schools. Right. In the area, if that was sort of more what your child wanted to see too, versus the what you would think of as a traditional private school, like learning with, pods, you know, hundreds of school like, students. Yeah, yeah. yeah so learn. those are things where you can look. Do I just want them to have a private teacher? Would they be happy in a model like that, or would they be happy in a private school where it's just, you know, it's a bunch of students just like them, like a normal public school? It just might be smaller or even the same size. Just what right. we're looking for. Um, so anyway, there are a host of options for parents. They can go check it out. And then once once you pick where you want your child to go, as a parent, you pay whatever that cost is. And then you would turn in, um, depending on the school right. and how they do it. But for family partnership, it's a one-page reimbursement process. Um, or you can send receipts in online. And you're, the, each parent gets assigned um, a, a teacher that they work with that oversees the roadmap to make sure their their child, for example, in high school, right. to make sure that they're getting the right classes uh, to graduate from high school. Well, and that actually answers a question that somebody asked earlier. They said, this sounds like vouchers. I thought that was illegal. It's not vouchers because it's going through the correspondence school. So there are certified teachers. There's people there that you work with. I mean, that was the beauty of things like IDEA and CyberLinks and some of the others is that they had these teachers so that if you didn't know, you always had somebody to work with. They would help, like you said, roadmap stuff out and everything else. But this raises another question. I've only got two minutes here real quick uh, because one of the things we've talked about, and we've had Corey DeAngelis on the program and other educational experts talking about this idea of backpack funding in the state of Alaska and maybe trying to pilot something like that here. Um, this is kind of a not that quite that same idea. This has got a few more steps in it, but it's kind of that idea of allowing the money to follow the student. And and I think that really should be something that we're working towards. Is that something the policy form has looked at? Uh, well, uh, to me, that's what this is. This does on on a basic level for the base student allocation, the parent gets to use that. So that's excellent. Now, do I think that? But, and let me just give some information to your listeners, Michael, that they may not know. Ninety seconds. So, Okay, perfect. So our base student allocation is $5,930, but the average spending per student in Alaska is $20,553. Wow. 
according to the NEA, which is the teachers' union. So there's a host of stacked money after you give a base student allocation that then we spend as Alaskans. And that's an average, again, that $20,000 figure, almost $21,000, is an average that we're spending per student in Alaska. So do I hope there's a way and to really look at this and drill down and say, okay, no more special funding for transportation, no more for this, no more for that. Let's just change the BSA to be higher, get rid of all the special funding buckets, and then line item per student the things you have to line item. So for example, if a child was blind, yes, that money goes directly with them, sure, and we're not going to sure. change that funding. But there's other I, funding mechanisms that, yeah, roll it all together and put it in on a BSA. I like it. No, I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. AlaskaPolicyForum.org is where you go. Jody Taylor, thanks so much for calling in this morning. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. Tuckerman Babcock up next. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Sorry, Jody. I'm a slave to the clock. There, I had to go. No, thank you so um, much. I really appreciate your the conversation. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. So I give you the last couple minutes here. If there's anything else that we missed or something that you think you really want to double hit on here before I let you go, now's the time to lay it out there for sure. Okay. If you go ahead, your the floor the floor is yours for the next two minutes. So go ahead. <laughs> well, I I don't think we there's anything that we haven't hit, Michael. I think that. Parents can know what their options are. Uh, is, is there more to do in this sphere? Yes, absolutely. But the first step is letting parents, grandparents, um, Alaskans across the state know this is available to you, that as a parent, you have an option to use the correspondence program to put your child in private classes, um, private school around the state, and, and really create a custom plan for their students. So again, I just encourage people to go to alaskapolicyforum.org where that information is pulled together, sign up, get information, get updates as more things become expanded and uh, go forward and, you know, create an outstanding plan for your child where they're going to thrive. No, I I think that, again, this is a fantastic opportunity. I mean, I wish, I mean, like I said, I didn't really even know about it. I, I, um, and, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about what could, uh, what could come of this. So, uh, I want to find. I want to find out more about it. So we're going to go out to the policy form myself and look at it. I've still got one child who's still in, uh, who's still in school. And uh, but like I said, this has been a the, the whole correspondence program has been a, just a godsend for us as a family. Um, it's the I've just been so happy. We put four of our five children through it, and this last one is now in high school. So this would be a perfect opportunity to uh, to spring uh, to spring things around. So. Um, I, I love it. Uh, this is, and you're right. This is essentially backpack funding with a few more hoops. I was looking for something a little more cut and dried, but I think you're right. Looking at the different buckets of money and looking at how that BSA is split apart, um, and seeing where the special interests are getting their money. I mean, quite honestly, and this is my comment, not yours, but I think that's probably one of the reasons why this has remained so hush hush for so long (laughs) is because nobody wants anybody messing with their buckets of money. This is a good, this is a good thing. I, I would, I would. I mean, I I love to see this. So I appreciate you bringing it to our attention, and thank you for all the work that the policy forum does on this kind of stuff. We'll go out there and take a look at it and see what we can uh, we can see what's done. Great, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, thank you for your call, Jeffany. Uh, excuse me, Jody Taylor, uh, with uh, the Alaska Policy Forum, our guest this morning. Um, wow. I mean, that's just it's so so cool, so cool. 
Uh, Jimmy has got some problems with some of the programs we've been talking about. I'm just going back here and seeing what he had to say. Um, I'm aware how the system works. It's the amount of money that is not allotted, the bloated amount that goes to the admin of these programs, not much different than the public schools. I, well, Jimmy, I don't know if you're working with the wrong program or not, but I mean, our program in the idea program that we participated in, I, I can't speak to the other ones, but based on what Jody just said, with her kids getting about $4,000 a year, depending on the grade level, um, that's been my experience as well in idea. That's roughly about what we received in idea uh, for the allotment for each one. I don't know if they're taking, how much they're taking for administration, but I can't imagine it's, you know, it's not gobs of money. And then you said something about, um, they say they will refund you, yet I've had to foot the bill many times because the item did not fit the criteria of the homeschooling program. I mean, <clears throat> I've never had a problem being reimbursed uh, for many programs, but that's because we told the we told the system what we were going to do ahead of time and made sure it was uh, made sure it was uh, okay uh, and got it all pre-approved. Uh, and then you said some programs will buy you a PC or laptop, yet require you to give it back or pay them a bloated price. I have had plenty of compute with four or five kids over the last 15, 16, 17 years. We've had plenty of computers and laptops. And I've never been required to pay a bloated price. Uh, sometimes at the end, they have wanted 100 or 200 or 300 bucks for a computer, but then they just take it out of the current allotment, and it's never, it's never been a problem. So I don't know if it's just the wrong program, Jimmy, or what, but um, this has been a, this has been a uh, uh, it's been the best thing for my family. Uh, what sucks is I pay over $1,500 a year property taxes in my kids' homeschool. Hey, I've been doing that for... T- 15, 18 years now, Jimmy. That's 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 the way of the world. You got to pay the property taxes and you have to pay for the schooling of your kids. And we always have to pay something anyway because the school doesn't always pay for everything. But that's, uh, you know, um, yeah. So anyway, I would say check out another program, Jimmy, um, if, uh, if, if that's the case. Uh, like I said, my experience with IDEA has been amazing. Um, I cannot, I cannot say enough. I cannot say enough. Um, and idea was really, I think the, they were the, they were the, the, the pathfinder. They were the, the genesis of this whole thing. The uh, Galena city school district, putting that together, they did an amazing job with that started, you know, started in the interior and then just spread. And it's just, it's huge. It's huge. So if your uh, if your experience wasn't great with another program, Jimmy, I recommend. Uh, I personally recommend Idea. So you know, call them up and see if you can get in there. Um, all right. Um, all right. We got uh, we got one line. Oops, we got the line on hold. I put it on hold uh, just like subconsciously. Tuckerman Babcock, uh, it waiting in the wings. Are you with us, Tuckerman? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Are you ready to rock and roll this morning? I am. Okay, good. We're going to be right back to you. Don't go anywhere. We're about a minute out here from uh, restarting the show, uh, roughly, or so 45 seconds or so, and we'll dive into that. Folks, do me a favor. Please like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. If you missed anything this morning, you can hear it on the podcast, um, and uh, or you can rewatch the video. It's going to be good stuff. We're going to dive into this with Tuckerman Babcock, candidate for Senate District. Well, it was O, and now it's D. Senate District D. We're going to dive into that here right now. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's, uh, let's get this done. Here we go. 
Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream and links to our Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and every place else as we broadcast live every morning and, of course, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, Thursday edition of The Michael Dukes Show. We just finished up with uh, Jody Taylor from the Alaska Policy Forum talking about educational funding, a fascinating fascinating discussion on how you can use state funds to pay for private schooling um and if you missed it you can go back and listen to it on the podcast which is available wherever you find podcasts apple tune apple itunes google play Castbox, stitcher and of course spotify uh or you can just go back and watch it on our facebook replays on the live facebook video broadcast um all right hour two though hour two now we're into it with our second guest getting ready to talk about things, uh, shifting gears to the legislature. Uh, we're going to be talking here with Tuckerman Babcock, who is a GOP candidate for Senate District. It used to be, well, it is, I guess, currently Senate District O until January, and then it'll be Senate, or I don't know. Anyway, it's Senate District D now. Tuckerman Babcock joins us on the program to talk about uh, his candidacy, state business, the PFD, the budgets, and so much more. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, enjoying some well-deserved rain here on Soldana. Oh, man, I know they've been saying it all morning in the chat room that it's raining in Soldana, and I keep saying, just send it up here. 227 fires in the state of Alaska right now. Um, I mean, it's just, it's insane. We need to, we definitely need to uh, get a little bit of that wet stuff up here. I think it's, I just said earlier, it's rained four and a half hours this summer at my house. That's about the extent of the rain that I've had. Wow. So far. So, yeah, we're ready for a little bit of that stuff. Um, all right. Well, Tuckerman, I wanted to bring you on as a candidate and talk with you just a bit. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, primaries are coming up. And with the ranked choice voting at this point, there's really the primaries don't mean much for the legislature except for one out of 59 seats uh, because everybody is going to advance <laughs> into the general. Right. So it's more of a poll than a, than a primary. But, um, you know, I, I want to get your take on uh, some of the hot button issues that people are concerned about. And uh, wanted to see what your constituency is saying out there as well. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, introduce yourself for folks who I'm sure most people know who you are. But if there's somebody who just happened to trip over the station and and wanted to know, let's uh, let's hear about Tuckerman Babcock, who you are, where you are, where you came from. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. So I'm Tuckerman Babcock, running for the state senate, and I've lived in Alaska since 1966, and my uh, family came up. My father was a big mountain climber and just climbed the mountains in the Pacific Northwest. And after that, just kept looking for bigger mountains. And Alaska has the best. And we've been here ever since. And I live on the Kenai Peninsula. I've been 
active in government and business over the last 40 years, 10 years with an electric company, and worked for five different legislators, uh, two different governors, uh, spent three and a half years in a quasi-judicial position on the Alaska Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, regulating oil and gas development on state and private land. And I am uh, running for the state Senate because I'm retired. I have the time. Uh, there are no strings attached to any policy positions I take or votes that I may cast. I am uh, independent in that in that sense. And Alaska, I'd like to say Alaska has been good to me, and it's good for my children, and I want to make sure it's great for my 15 grandchildren. Right. Well, that's, I mean, I guess that's, and that's laudable. That's uh that's a that's a that's a good good uh, a good reason I think uh, as any as you look at what's going on in the state what do you see as being um, you know uh, the biggest challenge that we're going to be facing here over the next you know ten years or even just over your over the next term I guess we could say but you know really ten years what are we facing here in the state that you think uh, you know do you think the state needs to make some changes and change direction what what's going on well the state it's always it's always a battle. The battle is between representing just the average Alaskan and all the special interests that want something from government, whether it's uh, big corporations or big unions or just big government institutions. And the perfect microcosm of that is what's happened to the PFD since Governor Walker abandoned following the law. And then the legislature, once they saw that that was possible, have been battling ever since for taking a bigger and bigger share of the PFD. And that's just a, a perfect example of something that is, is a benefit to all Alaskans, yet the special interests want to get their hands on it. And it's been an agony to watch the legislature uh, fail again and again by just <clears throat> one or two votes uh, from following the law on the PFD. And that it, we have to get back to following the law. Candidates have to fulfill the promises that they make. And it's very frustrating to me, and I know it's frustrating for voters when candidates say they're going to do something and then they vote the opposite way. And we're just very, very close. And you've often talked about changing the players. There are a lot of players retiring. There's a lot of new candidates running. Holding people accountable is a key. And that's what I'm... Uh, trying to do you've <laughs> a lot of stuff in there so let me unpack a little bit i mean first and foremost uh let's start from the back to the front uh you know changing the players um i had to you know look at the performance of the senate president over the last uh, uh two se- two years for this session and how frustrated i was that there was a lot of promises made there was a lot of things that were said there was a lot of you know letters of intent that were signed to, to protect the permanent fund and do a lot of other things were those all reasons, and, and some of the failures on that part, were there, those all reasons why you decided to run for this seat? Those certainly are part of the reason, and it's you know, each individual plays their part, but then the team also plays a part, and holding your fellow team members accountable for following their promises and being courageous enough to make the motions on the floor, make the amendments on the floor, and call people uh, to account when they don't vote the way they promised. And if we're just so close, if we just elect just two or three more people, we should be able to 
turn the tide in the House and in the Senate. Right. Well, and it's, you know, it's it's amazing. We have a, an, a unique opportunity here. Fully one-third of the legislatures decide, decided essentially not to rerun for their seats. And uh, and that, I think, opens up a, a real potential opportunity here for putting in people who, because we often talk about how there is no political will to trim government to fit the, you know, to fit the income of what a standard government should have. And we'd all love to see the cuts, but there's just no political will. We have a unique opportunity here maybe to create that by changing the right players. Well, I think so. And I think that it's not all about the permanent fund. There are many other issues. You just had a an amazing guest on who outlined beautifully the many options and innovations available in, in uh, education funding. And I like to say the first line of responsibility for education is with parents. And then it flows from there. And responsibility means just that. Parents need to be responsible about choosing the school and the system uh, best for their individual child. My wife and I have raised eight children. And uh, I had three biological children, five stepchildren, two adopted from China. And they have gone through a mix of schools, of homeschooling, Uh, private Christian schooling, and public school. And some have chosen to go straight to college. One chose to join the military. One went to Avtech. One is still trying to figure it out. And it's it's beautiful to help each individual make the choices and pursue their dreams on an individual basis. And the cookie-cutter system that we, we built up over the last century is obviously just not the best for education for our children. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got five children and each child has a different learning style. One child right. may do well on their own, self, self-motivated, self self-directed. Other kids may need constant supervision or constant help or, you know, each child is different. And that is part of the problem with these big assembly line type cookie cutter systems that you're talking about is they treat each child as if they are all individually exactly the same. And that's just not, that's not how it works. Right, right. Yeah, it was wonderful to hear all the innovation that's taking place. Yeah. And I, I remember back in the 80s when Alaska started uh, down the path of being much more innovative in uh, options for parents, and the complaints and the caterwauling that went on back then about how the public school system would be destroyed by having choice and a little more freedom. And, of course, that hasn't happened. It's just a challenge for everyone to improve when it's more competitive. And you let the parents have the responsibility, then uh, they, that's what people do. They step up to the plate and right. take responsibility. Let me go backwards here. I was still unpacking some of the stuff you said earlier. And, and you said something that I've said on this program quite frequently, which is, you know, let's just follow the law. Hashtag follow the damn law. Uh, you know, why don't we just <laughs> why don't we just follow the law? Well, part of the problem here is, and this is something that as an incoming senator, I think that you would have a direct impact on. Part of the problem is is that we now have conflicting laws. Uh, the legislature created one law without eliminating the uh, uh, without eliminating another, and I'm talking about, of course, SB 26, the POMV statute that was put in place without removing, replacing, or or modifying the statutory dividend statute. And so now you've got two laws that are in conflict. And of course, the argument is, well, we've just we're going to follow this law. I mean, that's part of the problem. And more and more legislators, as I've talked to them over the last few months, have come to the conclusion that one of the things that we really need to look hard at is SB 26, that the POMV statute has got some real challenges 
including the fact that it could impact the corpus of the fund and cause problems down the road. And so many legislators are saying we need to revisit that and potentially repeal SB 26. And then we would have to, then we would have the one law and it would prevent some of the overdraw and some of the other issues out there. What's your take on that? Well, you you hit on some major points. One of them is since Bill Walker started abandoning the law and the legislature subsequently just declined to follow the law on the statutory formula, you've now raised the specter that what difference does it make what law we pass if the legislature in the future just might ignore it? And so that's a, <laughs> that is a, a serious problem and something that is a consequence of just ignoring the law year after year. Right. Now, the, the percent of market value is a different way of calculating the base from which you draw the permanent fund dividend, but it provides enough money even under the statutory formula. What they've done is put themselves in a position where now they don't have enough money uh, that they want to take from the earnings of the fund to fund government. So they ended up being hoisted on their own petard by changing that because before, from the the old formula that's still in effect, 50% went to dividends and 50% was available for appropriation. And usually that went back into the fund for inflation proofing or just to support the fund. But it was always available for government. Right. But then they passed the percent of market value, which lowered the amount total amount available. So if they still fund the dividend fully, there's hardly any money left over for government. Right. So now, so instead of repealing the POMV, they just want to take the dividend. It's a, uh, it's astonishing. Well, and the POMV also has another problem of it does not react well to market forces. I mean, if it's a 5%, 5%, 5%, or whatever, 4.7, whatever the number is that they decide, if it's up to 5% and you have a, you know, we have a, a horrible 2008, 2009 recession and the fund loses $30 billion of its value, um, all of a sudden it doesn't take that into account. Yet the five-year rolling average formula of the statutory fund does just that it evens out the highs and the lows and so again you know uh, somebody said it yesterday POMVs are great for retirement funds and annuities and things like that that are static but not for funding a state government I mean it just doesn't make sense to do that uh, we should go back to the original statute and fund it from that uh, from that direction as well because again it, it helps take out the highs and the lows well the original statute worked flawlessly for 35 years Alaskans understood that it was a dividend based on realized earnings from the fund. And so we knew it would go up and down based on the five-year rolling average and never never impact the corpus of the fund. And one of the arguments that has just grated on me every time I hear somebody make it, which is the permanent fund dividend is unsustainable. It's perfectly sustainable. It, it's paid for by realized earnings from the fund. There's nothing that threatens right. the dividend. It doesn't threaten government spending. It doesn't. It's not paid for with taxes. It's earnings from the permanent fund, and and the permanent fund itself is only twenty five percent of the royalty payment that goes to the owners of the the resource, Alaskans. The other seventy five percent, the legislature spends every year anyway. So it's right. it's just amazing that that as long as there's a pot of money, there are certain politicians that will go after it, and certain interest groups that want it. And it just takes a lot of a backbone and courage to stand up for the average Alaskan. Tuckerman Babcock is our guest, uh, GOP state Senate candidate for District D. We're going to be down on the peninsula. We're going to be back with him uh, here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. 
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Tuckerman Babcock, our guest here on the program uh, as we continue on here talking about this. I will disagree with you on one thing. The permanent fund does threaten the spending of the state because they want it, Tuckerman. They <laughs> they want that money. And so it does threaten. Anytime you give it, anytime you give the people the money that is theirs by right, uh, and take it out of the uh, take it out of the grasp of the legislature. They oh man they don't they don't like that at all. I mean I have always seen this as a way to kind of end run the fund. This is I mean let's think about it. The POMV battle is the same battle that we fought in 1999, right? Yes, it is. It's That's the right. same battle. It's the same battle that 83 percent of Alaskans said no, not just no, but hell no. And yet the legislature went ahead and passed it in their infinite wisdom. I've still got the picture of the self-congratulatory selfie of Senator Machiki and and uh, uh, and uh, Costello and Liesl McGuire and, and everybody else up there patting themselves on the back and look at what a great job we did of passing this POMV. Uh, and, of course, they didn't want the people to have a say in it. Machiki was actually on the program right after that pass, and I asked him, why didn't you let the people vote? Oh, because they would have voted with their pocketbooks. Well, Yes. I mean, that's part of the reason. I mean, this is the whole thing. I mean, this is exactly the same fight that we fought before, and it has brought us to this position. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And back in back in 1999, you remember the forces arrayed against us? Oh, man, I, I remember. Look, I mean, I've donated time and money and everything else to the anti-PFD or to the, the, the you know anti-raid fight, and I think we gathered... I think the last number that I saw was something like we gathered six hundred thousand dollars. Is all we as 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 the anti PFD raiders had had gathered, and they had spent something like five million bucks or something. It was it was it was a David versus Goliath thing, and yet at the same time, eighty three percent of Alaskans came back and said, "Yep, you're right." And uh, and and I I mean I I was never so proud as of that moment. Oh, I it reinforced you know, the you know you have. Our whole system is based on faith in the people, and that the and that was a perfect example when the people came together to all the, the special interests trying to get the money away from the people, and the people just said no. And I, I didn't. I was involved with Save the Dividend Matsu, where I lived at the time, and we just wrote editorials and letters and made phone calls and just did grassroots, and it defeated all the big money. And it can happen. But they don't yep. give up either, and they're, so they're still after the dividend. And like I say, that's one of the issues. And the the dividend will always be at threat until there's a, a real state spending cap on how much money can be spent by the state government in relation to how many people are here. And we don't have a realistic state spending cap in our Constitution. There was one passed in the early 80s, but it's just a mockery. And we need a real one. Right. And if we get a real spending cap and can control state spending— then their their ability to come after the dividend will be sharply reduced. Right. And we don't need a spending cap based on past expenditures. How many times do I have to say that? Every time I see some of the spending caps, I'm like, oh, we're going to base it on what we've spent in the... No, you've been... $18 billion of savings, $17, 18000000000 billion of savings is gone. We cannot base a spending cap on what we've been spending. You know what I mean? That's just... It's insane to me. Well, there's a... <laughs> 
there's, a, there's so much to be done. And I hope that Alaskans will look closely at the integrity and the courage and the record of different candidates so that we get a majority. I mean, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected, I'll be one. But, you know, there are 20 senators and we need 11 to make it happen. Yeah. No, I think, again, I think we have a very unique opportunity uh, in this election cycle with a large number of incumbents who've decided either to quit altogether or run for different seats or whatever. I, I, I think we've got a huge opportunity here to make some fundamental sea changes, and I hope we do, uh, because we've already changed out 30% of the legislature in the last four or five years, and some of those people just need help. That's, I mean, they just need some help in there. Uh, to get that stuff done, and I think that is—I uh, think that's the important part. Tuckerman Babcock, our guest. We're about to jump back into it on the radio. I'm not going to miss it this time. Uh, we're going to—we're uh, going to uh, be part of this here. Please like and share this video. Like and share this video. So uh, let's uh, and and don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube as well. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I mean. I got 3,500 followers on Facebook. How I can't get 1,000 of them to go over to YouTube and hit the like button, I don't know. But uh, let's do it. Here we go. All right, we're back now with Tuckerman Babcock, GOP state senate candidate for District D, formerly District O, down on the peninsula. He joins us this morning. We were just talking about the PFD, and so we're, we're not going to stick on that too much longer. But uh, I want to uh, just get, you know, again, for anybody out there who's taken notes and wants to clarify, Tuckerman Babcock, you're in favor of a full statutory PFD, right? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think it just needs to be unequivocal that that is uh, kind of where we're where we're at right now um and i mean quite honestly i'd love to see some of that back pay come back out of the era as well to people but uh i would be happy with just a full pfd right now if we can get uh if we can get that uh, uh squared away you've been out there talking to the people i'm sure you've been beating the streets and and having meetings and uh, and walking door to door uh obviously the pfd is a big issue for many people uh i guess depending on their income bracket and everything else but it's it's an issue for many people uh i would think the overall budget would probably be another hot issue what what are the things that you're hearing when you're out on the street tuckerman well i was just at the soldat in the wednesday market uh yesterday and the people who came up and talked wanted to talk about two things in particular and the first was the pfd and the second is actually gun control with what the Democrats are doing in Washington. Right. And it's very much on people's minds because we they realize, and I share this belief, that if you lose the Second Amendment, the rest aren't worth the, the paper they're written on. No, I mean, I agree. I mean, Alaska has enjoyed... Um, you know, pretty, you know, pretty broad freedoms uh, as far as guns have gone um, in the state over the years. But we still, again, any kind of national momentum goes, and we could see a big push for that here in the state. We've defeated some laws. There's still, uh, I guess last year there was a hearing on, uh, there was some discussion on uh, one of the red flag laws and everything else. It finally died. But, I mean, it, it's going to keep coming back. And you're right. We have to stay on point with that. We do. And that's that's on people's minds. And then the other is the the inflation and the effect that that's ha- happening on having on people's livelihoods and travel plans and anxiety about the future. And so, what, whatever we can do in Alaska to improve 
uh, more small farms and agriculture and our own ability to feed ourselves. We have the energy in Alaska to take care of ourselves. We Our electric grid is not connected to any other state. Our natural gas to heat homes in the in the rail belt is not connected to any other state. So we're in some good positions to survive any any major disruptions that occur. But our food supply is something that we need to pay attention to and, and I'm glad to see the administration has focused has focused some attention on that and I'd like to see the legislature do more to encourage the uh, small agriculture. Well, food security is a huge deal. I mean, like you said, we're on the end of the supply chain here. I mean, we're at the very end of the, we're like the last link in the chain uh, when it comes to the supply chain. And the food situation is definitely the most, to me, one of the most horrific things. And it's something that I think we really need to be focusing on more and more. Alaska used to be pretty self-sufficient when it came to food. Uh, And of course we saw with the the ease and use and the expansion of distribution networks and just-in-time delivery and everything else. Now it's uh, it's a whole different story now, and uh, we are completely upside down, and we need to focus on that. I think that's I – mean, and I'm happy to hear that more and more people are uh, concerned about that. What about the budget itself, um, the size and scope of government? Do, you know, do, Are you hearing more about that? Because I was talking earlier, and honestly, I don't remember now if it was in the break or on the air, but I was talking about the political will. Because we talk about in this program a lot of times that, you know, look, I'm a fan of cuts. I think it should be cuts first. The problem is – is that I'm not on the legislature, and I'm not one of the 60. And of the 60, the vast majority of them are don't even want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. There is no political will to make cuts in the state government as of this exact moment. We have the opportunity to put people in there who may see that as a top priority. Where do you stand on the size and scope of government? Well, I, I think that the smallest government possible is the best government possible. And it's been a driving force for my involvement in civic affairs since high school. And just government, bureaucracies always function a certain way. Government functions a certain way. Uh, you can't, I, a lot of well-meaning people say we need to run government like a business. It's never going to be run that way. It's not a business. It's a bureaucracy. And we have to be very careful about what duties we assign to bureaucracy. And Bureaucrats do the best job they can, but they live within a system that is bureaucratic. And bureaucratic management is not the best in most aspects of our lives. In our own management of our own lives is best. And it's a it's a complete uh, I don't know life changing <laughs> moment when you realize I can take care of my life better than any government official can. Right. And it's. As far as what to do with the state spending, there are two things. You're right about the will. And what I've seen over the last 40 years is this absolute roller coaster, depending on how much money is available. So with a real constitutional spending cap and taking as much money off the table as possible, that is how we're going to force legislature to live more within its means. And it's this just on the principle of the thing about the size of government and reducing government, you're right. I don't have a lot of hope that there'll be enough legislators to ever do that. If the money's available, they're going to want to spend it. And it's uh, it's our job to, to reduce the amount of money available, which has the positive benefit of making more money available in the private sector and more money available in our permanent right. well, sector. It's always been my answer is to starve the beast, right? Because, I mean, look, bureaucracy, government, by its very nature, they grow. 
Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're evil. I'm not saying that they I'm just saying the nature of bureaucracies, the nature of government is to grow, to justify what they're doing, to expand their power, to expand those things. That's just in the nature of the beast, so to speak. The only way you're able to hold that back is through funding. And the only way you're able to to stop that expansion or to at least retard it is to stop. If there's no money, they can't hire more people. They can't do put more regulations in and enforce more regulations. They can't do those things because there's no dollars to drive that machine. So we must starve the beast. That's that's step number one. That's no question about it. And it's a it's a it's challenging because you you don't want to be in a position and i i've been around government for a lot of the last 40 years and i understand that there are a lot of very well meaning very competent very dedicated people in public service and i mean my mother delivered mail for the us postal service for 26 years and my stepfather was with municipal light and power uh, for uh, most of his 39 years with the international brotherhood of electrical workers and he they they were very dedicated in their jobs, but it's our job as legislators not to assign so much responsibility to bureaucracy and not to continue to, to feed a growing system, but to limit the amount of duties and responsibilities that we assign to government. And if anyone wants to just really get a grasp of the nature of bureaucracy, Professor Ludwig von Mises wrote an incredible pamphlet and it's just called bureaucracy. <laughs> and it, he, he explains, you know, the immutable nature of bureaucracy and expecting it to be something other than that and function other than in a bureaucratic method is just a fool's errand. And it's not that we don't need bureaucracy for many things, but we those things have to be very limited. And we it's our responsibility to control the duties and responsibilities of government. Anybody that quotes Mises to me has automatically got a, a a win in their column as far as that goes. Because you're right. I mean, he he stretched. I mean that that piece right there. Bastiat also talked about bureaucracies as well. I mean, they're they're the power that is inherent in those organizations is astonishing, and we have to find ways to control. They're useful, but uh, unchecked, they will create what we see today in America. And it's it is just it, the unmitigated power that's been relegated to bureaucracies because people like Congress have abdicated their authority or the legislatures abdicated their authority to the bureaucracies is, is just, uh, is just amazing. Um, well, go ahead. It, it's, well, it's just so encouraging to see a latest U S Supreme court decision on the authority of administrative agencies yep. and to restrict that authority to the actual uh, specific language of the statute passed by the legislature instead of the broad application of authority that that permanent administrations and bureaucrats have, have assumed, especially at the federal level. Yes. And uh, I think we might be a, at a turning point, and our country needs it. We need the turning point to get back to a focus on individual freedom, individual responsibility, the free market, and a government that serves our needs with as little intrusion into our lives as possible. Uh, we're talking with Tucker Babcock, GOP state Senate candidate for District D. Uh, back to the budget real quick here, Tuckerman. I mean, a spending cap obviously is is uh, like you said, it is it's uh, paramount that we get a good spending cap in there, um, and it should be 
something that's constitutionalized, I think, because that's the only way that they won't ignore it. If it's in statute, they I mean, they ignore constitutional stuff, too, but it's a little harder to ignore than statute. Uh, but let's talk about some of the specifics. One of the things that, you know, we look at some of the largest line items in the budget and we see things like education and health and social services and things like that. Um, and one of the things that we need to, I think, dissect is these automatic escalators in the forms of some of the formulas that uh, are baked into the system where we don't even question it. It's just, oh, it's this much. We just need to pay it this much. Um, every dollar should compete with every other dollar every year, just like we have to do in our own budgets. We have to prioritize, and it should not just be an automatic, well, that's what it is, and we're going to pay it, uh, or maybe we'll increase it this year. We need to start looking at uh, some of the formulas-driven stuff, the BSAs and uh, and other formula, you know, foundation formulas and things like that. That's the only way, because, I mean, even left alone unchecked, if it was year to year, nothing changed, the state budget goes up $150 million a year just with those escalators. We've got to do something about it. Well, that, take, that takes a, a teamwork with a group of senators and a group of representatives and a governor that are willing to uh, open those boxes, look inside and see how the uh, internal workings are producing these, in, these inexorable increases. And also some people who have enough background to be able to say, you know, I've heard the same argument for 40 years. There's not a, we're not spending enough on blank. And they never say they never go on to the next, which is what is enough. If twenty one thousand per student is not enough to educate a child, uh, what would be enough? A hundred thousand, fifty thousand, right? And how does New Hampshire do it with eight thousand? Right. No, exactly. How do, how do you know how do all these other states do it with a similar type of large geographic area with a very low population? How do they do it with a fraction of what we're doing it here in Alaska? Now, I mean, we do have some broader stretches as far as distance, but it's the same type of thing. You know, communities and, and states like Wyoming and Montana and New Hampshire and some of these other ones. How do they get away? Why? You know, why are we trying to be all things to all people? You know, it's a question of nice-to-have programs versus must-have programs, and we've gotten lost in the weeds of the nice-to-have. We have, and we also, we also, <clears throat> the state, this is a part of the complexity of the state budget, which is how much of our state budget is driven by our own desire to have our handout as Alaskans for federal money. So the federal money for education says you have to do this in order to get that, and so we do all we add up all the this is until we're spending a tremendous amount of money just so we can get some percentage from the the federal government and yeah. that's a that's a whole different uh, ball of wax for us to pay attention to that there's nothing comes from the federal government for free there's always strings attached oh yeah there's always a hook in there somewhere that's for sure tuckerman babcock is our guest gop state senate candidate for district d we are uh, on the break. Uh, we're going to come back. One final segment with Tuckerman. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about election integrity. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the budgetary things and some of the strategies that we could use and how we can help. Uh, and then find out if he's doing meter greets and how you can talk to him and all that kind of stuff. That's all directly ahead. Tuckerman Babcock, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. In the break right now, uh, uh, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest. Um, we're kind of changing gears and getting it. So, so what have you been doing, Tuckerman? You've been walking around the community. You've been meeting people. You've been doing meet and greets up in Soldatna. What, what's been going on? Well, I've been going to the different uh, fairs and festivals. Moose Pass has a great sol- summer solstice festi- festival and the Kiski Fun Days, and then the Wednesdays at Soldatna in the park. And in our community, you know, if you're in Anchorage, going door to door makes a lot of sense here. We, lo- we really like our privacy in the, most of our homes, and so I go to businesses and meet the people working there. I go to the, the post office and chat with people there, and we are we and I call people up on the phone and just say, I'm Tuckerman Babcock, and you can find out more about me at TuckermanBabcock.com, and what do you think's going on? What would you like to see happen? And, and just that uh, personal connection, but it's a little different on how we campaign down here on the Kenai. Well, we, and you, you like to see that. I mean, I, I have only run for office one time and I was in the borough assembly and I walked, well, I mean, it's at large, but I basically walked my area uh, around my, uh, around my house and a few miles around And It's an educational experience to go out and meet all those people. And then of course, do the meet and greets and everything else. Definitely a, uh, Definitely, uh, uh, kind of an eye opener. You get a chance to see, uh, you get a chance to see what folks really want, and a lot of times, surprisingly, uh, it's uh, it's not what the news media or what a lot of the talking heads say are important to them. I, I loved it when you said, you know, people are concerned about inflation in the economy, and of course, I'm re- reminded of the James Cavell, uh, you know, it's the economy, stupid comment. Uh, that you know, people are thinking, oh, it's going to be up. Oh, it's going to be Roe v. Wade. Oh, it's going to be this. No, no, it's the economy. Stupid. That's what people are really concerned about. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they people want to know they can provide for their families, that they have the ability to save for the future, and that the saving will be worth something and not eaten up by inflation, and that they can get a home that they want to buy, and that the prices aren't doubling as they have been, and the interest rates doubling as they have been, and and the gas. You know, premium gas down here is now six dollars a gallon, and it's just outrageous what's going on in the country. I I saw a YouTube of the president of the United States saying, "You can sum up what's great about America in one word: bubbly, gubbly, gum, Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. When are we going to? When is he going to retire? Yeah. This is so embarrassing. Soon, soon, hopefully, soon for sure. But I mean, you're right. I mean, people, you know, that the, I, I love the fact that the people are getting it. And, you know, it's really getting concerning to me. I was just going on this morning in hour one about uh, there was three headlines that caught my attention, two headlines and an email report that came out to me here recently talking about Alaskans struggling to be able to afford food right now uh, and rental prices for homes and apartments steeply rising, especially down in Anchorage, uh, where those folks down there have seen like a 14 percent increase in their rental properties. We've seen the interest rates go up and it's putting housing outside of the range of many people. We've seen home prices. That was a story yesterday or day before home prices increasing uh, in the South Central area by, you know, 20%. I mean, it's, you know, it's starting to get to the point to where you start to worry about uh, in the in here in the interior, we used to call it heat or eat, right? You had to decide, did you want to heat the home or did you want to eat? Because that right. was the, the fit. And it's starting to get to, it's starting to look like, especially with the prices and everything else with heating oil in the fall, 
this could be a real problem across the state. Of course, it's the economy, stupid. That's that's what it is, and it's it's a very sharp reflection for people of what difference a policy can make. We have, you know, the far left or socialist approach of the Biden Democrats running the federal government right now, and we've seen us go in just a year and a half from being energy self-sufficient and some of the lowest prices in our lifetime, the lowest interest rates in our lifetime for homes. And here we are a year and a half later with everything spinning out of control. And it's, it's a shocking revelation of just how much policy matters and why it's important to elect people who are dedicated to American values, the free enterprise system and maximum personal liberty. It's just, and you know, as far as what people are interested in, I went to a meeting last night of some concerned citizens here in Soldatna that were upset that there's nothing in the, Soldatna, the city of Soldatna's ordinances that would prevent the uh, drag queen dancing at the public kids' park. And right. It, it was just one of those things to watch the government respond with relative indifference to, well, there's nothing we can do. Well, of course there are things you can do. The Supreme Court has definitions of obscenity. You have other cities like Palmer and Kenai, Osceola, they all have ordinances in place that keep the public parks a safe space for children and families to go without having outrageous, overly sexualized twerking and dancing on the public stage at a, at a city park. Yeah. And the city of Soldatna officials are going to get a wake-up call from the citizens. <laughs> They yeah. need to take some action to protect our children. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens there. I, I, you know, again, I use the substitution game. What if we put strippers up there instead of uh, drag queens? Would they be standing up for that? Would they be taking their kids to that? No? Hmm, maybe that's a problem. All right, hold the line. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. All right, uh, we're continuing now. One final segment here on the broadcast for Thursday. Tuckerman Babcock, GOP state senator for District uh, D. He's the GOP candidate for that uh, seat. Used to be District O down on the Upper Peninsula there. And uh, he's running uh, He's running for state senate. We've been talking about some of the issues. And, uh, well, this is an interesting question. I'll, uh, I'll ask this one because I think this is a good question uh uh, it's a non sequitur, but we'll start with it. Uh, legislators need to stay in tune with their constituents. What is Tuckerman's plan to stay in tune with his constituents and actually represent the people? Um, I think it's a solid, valid question, Tuckerman. It's one of the reasons why I often invite politicians on when they're running, especially to say, will you come back on the program uh, You know, once a month or something to uh, communicate to people uh, what, uh, you know, what you're doing? I think that's one of the failings of this governor is that you know, he made that promise that he would, and then the, the just the lack of communication about what's going on is that is the biggest. I mean, that's supposed to be his biggest uh, tool and his biggest uh, win is being able to win over the people in the base. And unfortunately, when you don't talk to people, nobody knows what's going on. So, what's your plan to stay connected and uh, to actually represent the people and stay in tune? Well, the first step is is when you campaign and talk about what it is that's motivating you, what it is you believe, what it is you're seeking to do, that you're honest with the voters and honest with people about 
how you're going to make decisions on the various issues that come up. And so I'm, I'm very focused on doing that for years, helping people run and encouraging them to run. That's been the foundational advice to them is you get to choose what you're going to campaign on. You, no one's going to make you say anything. So tell people the truth. And if you get elected, they, they're going to know what drives you and how you're going to make decisions. And my cell phone is 907-394-4910, my personal cell phone. I've never been shy about making it public and answering any calls and questions that come up. When I was chairman of the Alaska Republican Party, and we sent out 70,000 invitations to apply for an absentee ballot, I put my cell phone right on every one of those application letters, and I got a lot of phone calls. <laughs> but it's, that's what you do. It's what you're signing up to do. Right. Well, and I think that's important. Uh, and we would, uh, we'd invite you onto the program, Tuckerman, if you get elected and you want to come on. Like I said, once every four, six weeks, whatever, to share with us what's going on and what's happening. Um, I mean, I reserve the right to bug you and say, come on and talk about it. Because, I, again, communication is essential. Communication to motivate the folks who are out there or in your district or in your state, it's essential to let them know what's going on, to let them know what you're thinking, and to, uh, to, to, to lift them up and get them to support you in that. I mean, I think, again, I think that's been one of the greatest failings of this administration is their lack of communication with the general public. I mean, that's where we need to be. No disagreement there. Yeah. Um, We're down to the last uh, few minutes here uh, of the program. And so, um, you know, what are you going to be focusing on if you uh, are elected? You know, we've talked about the PFD. We've talked about uh, the budgets. We've talked about a spending cap. Uh, I want to talk quickly about election integrity because I know that's been important for a lot of people. Many people in the state are kind of um, are very uh, distrustful of the election system as it sits now. It hasn't been helped by the whole pandemic and no signature requirement, and now you've got a signature requirement and a mail-in ballot and all these other kind of things. So election integrity is important to many people as well. Is that something you're focused on? Have you had a chance to talk to people like you know, Sarah Vance and Mike Shower and or Chris Tuck or any of those folks who were pushing for that and before it got killed this last session? Well, election integrity is also foundational to the success of self-government. If you can't trust the elections, then the whole premise of self-government collapses. And it's like the Second Amendment is the foundation of all the other amendments. The ability to trust our election system is absolutely pivotal. And so this the first thing we need to do is repeal ranked choice voting. It's a complete disaster and a waste of money. And as you pointed out, this whole primary is nothing but a state-funded poll as of no value. And it is uh, it is it doesn't resolve anything. Doesn't nominate anybody. It's just a it's just a complete waste. And it was foisted on us by Lisa Murkowski's henchmen, especially her lawyer Scott Kendall. And it's just, right awful waste of money and a burden on everybody. And then we can't even count the ballots by hand if you, when you get to rank choice. It's going to have to be done with algorithms in the computer. And that's that's terrible for trust and integrity. Right. So we uh, there are always going to be glitches in the elections, but the foundation has to be one of trust and integrity and security. And the, the mail-in ballots mail to every single person when we know We've got 60,000 bad addresses, and yet still the state mails a ballot to everybody, or Anchorage mails a ballot to everyone, and there's no privacy when you do that. There's no guarantee that it's the person who's supposed to be voting who's voting. We need in-person voting whenever possible. If you're going to vote 
absentee, you have to apply for it and provide your identification because we have to have elections we can trust. Right. I think that's a that's a cornerstone. If you don't have an election you can trust and people lose faith in the voting system, it is the first step to losing faith overall in the governmental structure. And I think that's I think that's very, very dangerous uh, at that point, for sure. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I guess uh, I'll give you the last three or four minutes here. Uh, you know, wh- what are you going to be your priorities as you step into the uh, as you step into the legislature? Again, we've talked about a lot of stuff here today. But what are you going to be focused on? What are going to be Tuckerman Babcock's priorities uh, as a freshly minted senator going into the state Senate? What are you going to be looking at? I'm going to be looking at the, some essentials of self-government, like working as part of a team, and because you need 11 votes to make things happen, and maintaining your integrity and your principles while you do that. And I think there's a plane flying overhead here. I can, we, I can hear that. It sounds like a 185, so it's all good. <laughs> I love it. I, we live on a Sport Lake, and I love the fact that it's an airplane lake, and the airplanes come and go, and it's just a beautiful part of Alaska. But in the, in the legislature, if we don't get our spending cap and spending under control, bad things bad things are going to happen down the road. If we don't start following the laws that we pass, bad things are going to happen. If we don't have elections we can trust, bad things are going to happen. If we don't have access to our resources and minerals, bad things are going to happen. If we don't have freedom and choice in educating our children, bad things are going to happen. So it's important for good people to step forward and run for office. Uh, They do need donations, not just for my campaign, but others who are running uh, like Sarah Vance down here on the Kenai, or Ron Gillum. And uh, Ben Carpenter's unopposed this year, so he probably doesn't need any donations. But uh, you can, and any amount is helpful, whether it's $10, $1,500, it all matters, and it, it's very encouraging. It's, it can be a long, a long slog running for office. And it's TuckermanBabcock.com, or give me a, a call at 394-4910. And I, I look forward to serving the Kenai Peninsula Borough in the state Senate. Are you doing any meet and greets or anything, any meetings or uh, fairs or anything you're going to where people can come out and see you there as well? Yes, most Wednesday markets in Soldatna. Um, I'm there I'm with some volunteers in our tent and uh, happy to, to speak to people there. I'm also happy to have anyone call and I'll drive and meet with you. And it, it's uh, very enjoyable to talk with people and hear what's on their minds and what concerns them. And, and then I realistically answer what we could do about it, which is not over-promising and not any uh, grand schemes for reforming the world, but just letting people have the maximum freedom in their own lives. Real quickly, you mentioned it earlier. You mentioned changing the players, so you're familiar with the Charter of Changes, and we'll just uh, buzz through it real quick. I mean, I'm, obviously you're, you're in favor of changing the players since you're running for office, um, changing the venue, moving the legislative session onto the road system. Is that a yes or a no for you? It's an absolute yes. There's no reason for in our great, huge, diverse state to have the legislature meet only in one town in, in a far off corner of the state. Yeah. The you know, legislature, and I think starting in, and a lot of people mention Anchorage, but I think Fairbanks is a good place to start. Sure. Fairbanks. Anywhere on the road system is a good start. The third uh, charter of changes is changing the rules no binding caucus, enforcing the Open Meetings Act on everybody, including the legislature and the conflict of interest rules. I think those all need to change. 
Uh, what say you? Well, I say the conflict of interest is something every voter should be closely paying attention to because the strings attached to some people running for office, uh, what what the who is supporting them and uh, where the money is coming from, it's just something you should be aware of and how that might impact their decision-making. And the Binding Caucus is the only reason that it was established in Alaska is because we had the, the mix of teams where you have Democrats and Republicans making a majority. And since they don't have a shared philosophy, they have to impose a Binding Caucus so that they can get something done. And it's, it is, it, there's no, they don't use it in the Congress. Right. Well, we don't don't need it, and I'm against it. We're the only state in the union that does it. In fact, some states it's unconstitutional to do it. So, I mean, I think we definitely need to look at that. But we're out of time. Tuckerman Babcock, tuckermanbabcock.com. Thanks for coming on board, folks. We will see you tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Sorry about that, Tuckerman. I'll give you last. uh, I'll give you 60 seconds here, or 90 seconds, or whatever here to finish uh, any thoughts you had there. Binding Caucus is a no. Uh, uh, Open Meetings Act. I want to talk. I know that one's a stickler for some people, but I figure if every other elected or appointed body in the state down to a three-person road area commission has to abide by it, why shouldn't the legislature? Well, that is is a little bit of a a conundrum because sometimes having those frank conversations to figure out what it is a senator or representative really cares about, what's really motivating them, and they're you won't get the answer from them if they have to do it publicly. So uh, I think that all decisions should be made in public, all votes in public. And, but you know, you're going to have some conversations that are over the coffee table just to figure out what on earth is motivating you to take that position. Well, sure. One or two people, no big deal. Oh, yeah. You're talking about you got a majority of people behind closed doors making all those decisions and rolling out on the floor and making a 10-minute vote over a complex issue. That's a problem. Yes, that is. I yeah. agree. So, all right. Well, Tuckerman, thank you, my friend, for coming on board. It's good to hear from you, and good luck. Um, we're, we're pulling for you here. We appreciate you being part of the program today. Thank you, sir. Good morning. All right, folks. I'm out of here. Got stuff to do, things to see, people to to talk to. Right, whatever. We will see you tomorrow, the Michael Duke Show, for Firearms Friday. Have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.